Welcome to the Cycling Central podcast. And before we start, let me remind you that you can find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cycling central, or from our website, sbs.com.au slash cycling central. And this week, we will review extensively the Tour Down Under. And I've got two special guests with me. We start with Dave McKenzie. Hey, Dave. Hey, hey, hey. We have a special guest today, Matthew Kinnon. Hello, Christoph. Normally, we've been talking tennis for the past week or so. Now we're back to cycling. I know. It's going to be... It actually felt weird talking tennis. A few times I started to say, welcome to the Cycling Central podcast, and I had to do a retake. But uh, it's going to be a nice and refreshing to talk about cycling. Uh, Tour Down Under, 20 years anniversary of the Tour Down Under, an all South African affair. It was brilliant. And I think a popular winner on many fronts, not just from his teammates, but from other riders and... And then I saw a few posts from former riders saying couldn't have happened to a nicer bloke. So it was deserving and for all the hard work that he's done. And it was a, it was almost pre-planned. Well, it was pre-planned. They kept it quiet. But Mitchell and Scott, once again, masterstroke. So we know he's a Daryl Himpe. Uh, what do you know from him and what do you make of his win for him? I was convinced he could finish in the top five. I didn't for a second think he would win the race overall. If you look through the history of the Greenwich team, which we now know as Mitchelton Scott, there's barely a significant win that Daryl Limpy has not played a part in. Amongst those biggest ones was him leading out Simon Gerrans to win the stage at the Tour de France in 2013, then the team time trial the next day. And, of course, the story of Daryl spending a few days in the yellow jersey. He so rarely gets the chance purely for himself. And even at this Tour Down Under, he's selflessness almost cost him the overall win. That stage into Sterling where he did the job for Caleb Ewan and he finished second on the stage, the stage victory and the extra time bonus, that could have been the difference if Richie was just a fraction quicker up Wollonga Hill. And as Macker has just alluded to, everybody is delighted to see Daryl Impey win the race because he is the selfless workhorse for that team. And even though he's highly rated, he's still underrated because he's even better than what he is rated. Yeah, agree. He's you know, I think Matty's just nailed all the main points there. And um, but what was what was impressive was the fact that going into it, not too many people would have picked him. And then around the Sterling day, I thought after Sterling, I thought, gee, he's in a good position, and we know he's good on those power climbs. Now, Wollonga, it's a power climb, but they finish at the top, so it's a little bit harder than that compared to if it was a climb just going over in Europe. Did you genuinely think though that Daryl Impey would only concede? Eight seconds on Wollonga to Richie Port. No, that, that's. I, I, I genuinely thought he could win, but you're not thinking about the time. You know, you're thinking, oh, he'll have to do it on the Sunday. He'll still be behind. Um, but no, that was impressive because obviously I was calling that race uh, as the venue announcer. Richie's crossed the line. I've put my microphone down, handed it over to my co to go to the presentations, and Impy's gone bang. And in my head, I've gone, this guy's just won the tour. So, and little did I know they finished on the same time at the end of that day. So it was a crazy, crazy day. So I called it an old South African affair because uh, Nicholas Damlini got the King of the Mountain jersey. Uh, that's, a, that's an awesome story. Uh, an awesome story. And I know, I know that team has evolved into a, a big team now with big names like Mark Cavendish. But I, I love it that um, they're breeding their own, you know, and they're bringing their own up through that team. And Damlini was, um, he was impressive because... He had to win it as an opportunist, and I know many, many times those sort of jerseys are won that way. But he rode, he rode above and beyond himself. And on that final stage, he had to, he had to win the KOM points at the top of Wollonga the first time, and he did it. And it is not easy to do that. 
that marks the, all the characteristics required to be a good professional bike rider. Because in that race, there was no way he was going to win a stage. And there was no way he was going to be a factor in the general classification. So as a professional cyclist, getting exposure for my sponsor and for myself, how can I get something out of it? Get in the brake, pick up those points. Look at the career that Thomas de Gent has built. He's won races through getting in breakaways. In fact, he's only won races through getting in breakaways and big ones. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and I'll, we'll go back to Dalminia, but you made the point, Matty. I think he's, he's only ever won solo to um, Thomas again. But on Dalmini, what else was impressive and whether this, this surely would have been partly his director sportive, but also their plan, he'd win the KOM points, sit up and go back. So once the KOM points were done for the day, he'd actually sit up save the legs and we know how hot it was it was 40 45 degrees every other rider out in that break you know uh, were just burning matches all day so they went in with a clear strategy and they executed which makes the jersey win even more impressive as opposed to oh first day in the breakaway this feels okay and let's see what happens they had a plan and they nailed it absolutely uh sprinter jersey went to uh, peter sagan logical Yes and no. He's a world champ, so we expect so much from him. But he came back this year, opposed to last year, a little bit fitter and a little bit better. And I heard actually last night uh, that he expected in 2017 that he might just win a few stages and he didn't win one. So I think he came a bit more prepared this time round. And he had to fight for it because obviously Caleb Ewan, Andre Greipel, Greipel winning two stages, he had a battle on his hands. But it was nice to see the world champ presented on the final day. You know what the frightening thing is? This is the best he's been in January. So if you're Sepp Van Mark, Greg Van Uvment, Michael Matthews, and you're watching Peter Sagan in January in this condition, you're jumping on the ergo. You're doing a Zwift session, getting ready to race. Well, well, it's one or the other. You're either thinking, oh, good, hopefully he's peaking too soon, or, oh, my God, we might as well start thinking about trying to be Grand Tour riders. <laughs> peaking too soon? You reckon he was okay in April of last year? He went okay. His form looked pretty sharp in July when he won that stage with his foot pulled out at the Tour de France, and then he won the world title in September. Don't worry about peaking too early. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned Greipel. Greipel won two stages first and last. Uh, what was his impact on, uh, on the Tour? Huge, huge. I think... Um I, I spoke to him, obviously, a few days uh, over the race, and I said to him, can you think back to when you won your first stage? And he said, yes. He said, it was 10 years ago. He said, we arrived with black jerseys. Our sponsor had just dropped off, and I won, and I didn't know what my future was going to be. I wasn't a big name. And he said, bang, I won my first stage. And he said, so I have these special, special feelings. That, that final stage, he became the first guy, the only guy, to win five times on King William Road, uh, so the street race around Adelaide. Uh, Robbie McKeown and he were a tie at four each, and Robbie's obviously retired, so he's got that record. But he's also got the record for the number of wins, 18. 18 stage wins. That comment about Andre Greipel when he first came and won the stage, it shows the significance and the strategic positioning in the calendar for the Tour Down Under, because there's been a few riders where their story has started, and that generation has started at the Tour Down Under. Alberto Contador is a classic. He always refers to his stage win in 2005. It was when I knew I could be a pro cyclist again. Greipel that you've just mentioned. Peter Sagan, his first ever World Tour race was at the Tour Down Under. Stage up Wollonga Hill. Valverde's there. Luis Leon Sanchez. The world champion Kedal Evans. And some guy from Cannondale. It was Peter Sagan. So it's well placed the Tour Down Under. 20 years it's already developed a great history. So uh, do you reckon that's, that's why all the great riders from Europe are coming down here to, to just take part of it? No. 
you work for SBS. You watch the weather report. You've seen what it's like in yeah. Northern Europe oh, yeah, at the yeah, moment? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was going to say the same thing. They, they come for all of those reasons. But you know what else? And again, being involved with the organisation, working for them, I should say, they treat the riders really well. They treat them respectfully. And, and of the celebrating the 20th year, they brought out every former winner that wasn't present. There were seven winners in the race and all the other former winners that weren't there, they flew them out. There was only one and he couldn't make it, uh, Mikael Astaloza. So it was just class. It just shows a lot of class from the race organisation and they just do everything really well. In, in this regard, uh, performance by Richie Porte, he, he, he did very well. Does that mean 2018 could be an amazing year for him? Yes. Is the answer? Uh, yes, but you know, we saw what happened last year. So He will cautiously go into the year as well. He knows that. And, look, he's, uh, his wife is pregnant. She's due in May. So he's got a big year on a lot of fronts. And he's changing his racing calendar around that to build up towards the Tour de France as well. He's about to become a father. No doubt he's got a spare bedroom for him to sleep in uninterrupted. <laughs> uh, Caleb Kalebuan wore the jersey for two days on this tour. Sam, it's going to be a quite an impressive year with a Tour de France start for him. So 2018, quite shining for Caleb. Quite shiny. He learned, a couple of, he learned one lesson at Tour Down Under as well into Victor Harbour. He looked around his shoulder, 200 metres to go twice, You don't do that. You go for the line, especially when you've got about three lengths on your rivals. And it was Viviani who came from about six wheels back. I say use his track craft. He just used his common sense. It's 200 metres to go. You've got a guy there looking over your shoulder. You go full gas. He's a sitting duck. So I think Caleb learned from that. And his director, Matt White, said, you know what? I'd rather him learn a few lessons here than in July. So not a bad, not a bad week for him on, on both fronts. He's matured a lot. 12 months ago, there was a little sense with Caleb that sometimes, if things didn't go his way, he shifted the blame. And it was also more the first stage where Griper won. And Caleb just didn't quite get it right. Didn't have the legs. The team rode really well. And he owned it. He owned it on the first stage. He owned it on the stage that you're referring to where Viviani got the better of him. And he took responsibility, said the team rode brilliantly, and I made mistakes. That motivates the team to do the job again the next day. He's grown in the last 12 months significantly. Uh, significant mark as well, the 20 years for the TDU. Significant mark because of the, the equal pay, Rich, for women and men. Yes, yes, very significant. Now, there's a few ways you can look at it, and some people will argue, or not argue, but debate. You know, they, it's not sustainable, they shouldn't do it, or not yet at least. I think it's great. And here's why, because I don't think equal, equal salaries is sustainable. It's not possible at the moment. Teams would fall over. So I think if race organisations can at least make the equal prize money, give that respect, I think that's one step in the right direction. But what do you make of David Lapartien, that, that was here, the, the chief of the UCI, making that statement saying, look at other tools, you should be doing the same. Should the UCI be enforcing this? Uh, it's a difficult one for them to enforce when they've actually got nothing at stake financially. And as David alluded to, it can potentially put businesses out of business. And the issue about equal pay is never going to be equal pay. There's not equal pay between the men either. Peter Sagan has paid a lot more than what Ben O'Connor is, and for good reason. It's about the commercial value. What the sport needs to do is make 
women's cycling more commercially attractive to sponsors. So they need to work on the media coverage, the broadcast, those elements of it, so as it becomes commercially more attractive. So then they do get paid more, which, as athletes, they work just as hard as the men, and they deserve to be paid as much, but life's not fair. So we've got to work harder to get them those opportunities. But could it reach a level where, I mean, Matt, you had the tennis at a minute, the, the, the prize money is at the same level men, women. Can we reach this in cycling? I don't think we will in the foreseeable future. It would be nice because in tennis, the US Open, they had equal prize money in 1978. So we've got a bit of catching up to do. In 1978, or 1980, for example, women's cycling wasn't even at the Olympic Games. It didn't come to the Olympics until 84 with the road race, the track in 88. We've got a lot of catching up to do. Okay. In any other business, uh, David Lapartien again uh, came out uh, and talked about Sky and, uh, and Froome, and he's pretty much demanding Sky to suspend Chris Froome. Is that fair? Yes and no. I mean... What, you know, we don't know what's going on. What's going on behind closed doors? What's happening with the case? I, I, so I'm, I, I pause to make a judgment on Le Partien's comment because what is happening? If, if there's stalling, if there's a lot of stalling going on from Team Sky, then yes, they should. They should suspend him. But if, it's not, if, it's not, if they're not stalling and it's a legal system and a process that's holding it up, that's not their fault. So I don't want to make a comment on that. Okay, it's a complex one then. Innocent till proven guilty, but I want it resolved as fast as possible. And, you know, everybody should be treated equal thing, but this is one such high priority for the sport. The UCI should be doing all it can to work with WADA, whoever is running the case, to get it resolved as fast as possible. The last thing we want is for Chris Froome to turn up to the Tour de France without this having been resolved, or the Giro d'Italia, or any race for that matter, without this being resolved. The Contador case from Clem Buterold and then winning the Giro and not winning the Giro the following year is the perfect example. And if I see one more PR stunt tweet from Chris Froome trying to win back that public support, a photo with his son, I think I just might spew up. It's driving me mad. (laughs) Terry Wallace style. Uh, But why is it? Do you you know there's a mute button on Twitter? (laughs) Well, I like Chris Froome, my dealings with him, but it's it's just going a little too far. It's not quite a photo with the seven yellow jerseys, but it's getting close. Yeah, it's it's that's right. Treat the fan treat the fans with a little bit of respect that they're not stupid. Like seriously, I just think it's not it's not rocket science. If I was if I was Chris's PR team, I'd actually be preparing him for his speech for a six or nine month ban because I yeah. I think that's where he's heading. Every time I see the Twitter handle pop up, even before I read it, I kind of put my fingers over my eyes and I look through my fingers and I cringe and I th- oh no, he did. Okay, let's talk something positive. Uh, let's talk uh, about uh, pardon. <laughs> Pun non intended. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's talk about the Cadets race. Uh, it's, this is coming up. What do you make of it? Fourth edition, it's World Tour status. It's the first one-day race of the season that is World Tour status. We've got live broadcasts for the women's race and the men's race. Last year, it was Anna Van Vluten. What a season she had. She won the race. She's back as the defending champion. She's going to have a few challenges, even within her team, as to who gets that protected leader status. Because Amanda Spratt, she's won before as well, and she's in great shape. And the men's race, we've got Nikki Sant back as the defending champion. Simon Gerrans has been close. He'd dearly love to win it. I think it'll be a great race, and the race is still building. The fourth, fifth year is a challenging period for a race like this, as it has to grow just a little bit each year. Yeah, couldn't agree more. You, you 
Dead right. It's the fourth year. It's been good so far. And now this is, this is where you need to start tweaking. And it's a tough gig. I'd, I'd hate to be a race organiser. Uh, I'd much rather do the job that we're doing. But so far, so good. The, I guess there's a little bit of a talking point, very similar to TDU. I think there's some predicted very hot weather, and that could change the race for the better, I think. 39 degrees both days so it can have a it can have a but it can have the sort of impact on the race that it's so hard that everybody's just on their hands and knees and it becomes a survival an elimination race as opposed to the last few editions that we've seen even more so in the women's race than the men's race it has been full gas racing and they've been throwing everything they've got at each other when it's super hot it can be just a case of oh get me through it Okay, well, guys, we'll uh, look forward to this one. Thank you for this uh, amazing podcast. We were outside today near the tennis. Thanks, Maka, for coming. Uh, that's all right. Uh, so uh, you've got my VIP pass, obviously. I've got my own. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, no worries. The Frenchie does it again. That's why I owe you a beer. That's all right. <laughs> and, uh, Matt, I think we'll see you on the, the tennis podcast on the other side. Uh, we will indeed. And in the meantime, we'll work on Mackenzie's forehand. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. And this is it for the Cycling Central podcast this week. Uh, let me remind you that you can uh, download our podcast on uh, SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash central, or from our website, sbs.com.au slash central. Until next time, all is left to me to say. It's goodbye for now. And we'll see you next time.